Thanks for oh, people could watch and listen to this episode on if so if you got Spotify, this is gonna be a watch. Welcome to Thinking Daily about primary education, the podcast that makes time and space to really think about pedagogy, teaching and learning, professional development, anything of interest to time poor but enthusiasm rich primary teachers. This week, I'm joined by Tom Oakley. Happy to be here. And Sean Eve. Hi. And together, we're going to explore key stage one moderation. But first, Tom, what's you reading for? Hey, what you reading for? So this week I have uh, come across a book that was published at the end of March. Um, it's by Cambridge Mathematics. The lead author is Lucy Rycroft-Smith, uh, and it's being created by the team who put together the Cambridge Mathematics Espressos. So if you're familiar with the Espressos, they are short, condensed, research guides that summarize the things that we need to know to help us develop our practice of teaching maths and they're a great source for knowing what to read the full title of the book is the primary teachers maths journey book a year of professional learning with cambridge mathematics but you know shorthand the maths journey book i think it's going to be really useful for schools thinking about developing their practice one area of maths at a time so i've read the first section it's broken into four sections spring summer autumn winter almost like a development as you go through and it guides you to think about how you respond to the research so now you've read that what do you think about dot 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 um yeah i've so like i said i'm only a quarter of the way into it i think it looks really promising and i can't wait to read the rest sean what are you reading for uh i'm at the moment i am currently dipping in and out of craig barton's book uh, how i wish i taught maths I'm a new maths lead in September, so it's just a fantastic kind of, re it gives you great grounding really on um, just, just teaching and learning in general in maths. And I suppose it is a bit of a, it's a monster of a book. So like you really do have to take it in pieces and really kind of then come back to it and look at it again. We've been looking at in our school, but things like uh, explicit instruction, and he obviously does quite a lot about that, and that's really that's really it's, I found it very useful. And so you're almost at that the start of that journey, Sean, aren't you? This year, and you've been really engaging with as much as possible. Yeah, very, well, very, as much as as much as I can, really. It's only when I took on this job I possibly realised how ill-equipped I was for it, <laughs> and it's about just that, that's I just really taken on as as much information as possible, reading as much, as many blogs as possible. And then that's kind of where I found out, you know, where I found out about that book in particular, listen to podcasts like this, I suppose. <laughs> and that, that's that been really helpful just to give me a grounding because I suppose it's coming, coming at the position I, uh, you know, Matt's lead, it was, it's one thing teaching your own class effectively and, do, you know, and doing, what I hope was a good job, but you know, it's a whole other thing to disseminate that kind of good practice across across the school. And also, you might be disseminating something that works works for you, but if it's not backed by the research, is it going to work for everyone else? So I think that was that's been helpful in that regard. Thanks. I think it, it that connects up really well with um, your recommendation, Tom, because the espressos are great places to go for a lot of information in a really easily distilled and accessible sort of manner i think and like for instance yeah. whenever we were preparing for the number lines episode one of the things i did was i went and looked at the sources and, and checked well which ones do i have have i read anything interesting in those and i think yeah so for for teachers who are just engaging with research absolutely perfect so i think you know both your recommendations together are absolutely fantastic you can tackle them in little chunks you know the espressos are published every other month so there's not an expectation for you to read avidly loads of different things. It's time to take it on board, think about it, maybe apply it in your own practice before sharing it with others. 
And that's probably the way to tackle Craig's book as well, isn't it? You know, a little bit of a time, try and take it on board before moving on onto the rest, because it's not a race, you know, it's not a race to get through all this stuff. And we can't ask everyone to improve everything at once. So it's picking the areas you want to choose. So, yeah, they go together really well. Kieran, what you reading for? I think I mentioned last week that I was talking about manipulatives. Well, there's one paper that really, really interested me, and it, it gets quoted quite a lot. And it's called The Relative Effectiveness of a Symbolic and Concrete Model in Learning a Selected Mathematics Principle, which is a long way of saying they explored the efficacy of symbolic sort of representations in the instruction compared with the Cuisinart rods. And I'm not going to spoil it. It's part of the talk. So anyone who's in their corner right now, you know, this will be, it's, it's the last thing I talk about, but probably the most important. Um, and also, you know, so I recommend, even if you're not at the talk, it's by um, E.H. Fenema, and it's from 1972. But I think I'll, I'll link that under my thread about Saturday's talk when we get when we get to that point. There you, go. you guys have these nice practical suggestions, and I'm coming in with the 1972 <laughs> title. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Classic page turner that everyone should know about, but they don't. But now you've introduced them to it. <laughs> So this week, we are going to focus on Key Stage 1 moderation. And essentially, when I thought about this episode, I thought about a survival guide, you know, a, a way to get through this year, because it's the first time we've had moderation, I think, for three academic years, two academic years, but also in terms of preparation for next year as well, because we've had one year with less disruption, you know, still some disruption, but we've had no partial school closures. And so thinking about, well, okay, where are we going to be this time next year? What do we want to do? I think, Tom, my first question would be for you. And could you describe the moderation process for me? Yeah. So just to clarify, do you want me to describe it from the point of view as the teacher who's going through moderation, the moderator who's preparing to moderate, or do you want me to try and cover all bases? I think all pieces will be great. <laughs> yeah, sure. All right. So um, if we're thinking about from the very start of the school year, the year two teacher wants to be thinking about curriculum coverage and where the teacher assessment framework statements are coming up. So just to rewind a bit, we need to know that year two moderation is statutory. That means there's lots of guidance that we need to follow. So everyone involved head teachers, senior leaders, assessment leads, and particularly the year two teachers need to know what that guidance is. And that guidance is gradually released throughout the year, apart from the teacher assessment framework, which has been out since 2018-19. That basically says that in reading, writing, maths and science, these are the criteria that children must reach to get the expected standard or working towards or what have you. In terms of statutory moderation, teachers have to present evidence for each of those statutory teacher assessment framework statements for reading, writing and maths. They don't have to do it for science. They don't have to do it for children who aren't yet working at subject specific learning that might be assessed this year on something called the engagement model. Those of you who've been in uh, Key Stage 1 for a long time will know the P scales that used to exist for those children working pre-Key Stage, not yet learning anything subject specific. Well, the engagement models replaced that. Those children, their, their work, their standards isn't going to be assessed. But for everyone else, we need to be thinking about where we're going to cover these statements for reading, writing and maths throughout the year. And hopefully the teacher, the assessment lead, the year group lead might be penciling those things into their yearly overviews. You know, oh, we've got time coming up here. Great. That's where we'll get our evidence for that. So from the start of the year, we need to be thinking about that as a teacher, as a school leader, as a moderator towards the start of the year, you're booking yourself into the moderation training. Because if you want to be a moderator, you have to go through like an accreditation process. You have to make sure you've been through a certain standard and you get the kind of approval to moderate by attending the training. This year it was all online. So it was self-guided study. And then you have to take, uh, take part in a standardization exercise. And the standardization exercise is always for writing. You look at a collection of writing and you judge whether it's working towards expected standard or greater depth. And you do that for three students. And if you're, all your judgments for those three students are right, then you can get the approval to moderate. So if like me, you work for a local authority, you can be a lead moderator. 
if you work in a school, you can go through that same process as well. You can go through the training and all those kind of things. And if you have the availability, you can be a pool moderator. And a pool moderator means that you're going to join a lead moderator and you're going to go into other people's schools and support that out. So we're going around to spring. You've got your approval to moderate. Heading into summer, the moderators will have their last minute training, the things they need to know, kind of troubleshooting, what if this comes up, et cetera. Whereas in schools, teachers and senior leaders need to be making sure they have a clear idea of the types of evidence they're going to use. Now for reading and for maths, you have to use the statutory tests. They have to form part of your judgment. Um, so for those of you who've been reading Data Proof Your School and you've gone to the section about teacher assessment, you know, you'll be reassured that it's not all on you, all on your judgment. You have to use those standardized tests, those statutory tests to inform your judgments. So hopefully that cancels out any bias that might have crept in. One of the main pieces of guidance that schools need to be aware of, particularly head teachers, is the assessment and reporting arrangements. It's got a section in it, section four, called responsibilities. And the head teachers list of responsibilities is absolutely eye-watering. There's a whole section for teacher assessment about making sure that teachers' judgments are accurate. Teachers have time to go on the, the training to know how they're meant to judge their, their children's work, all that kind of stuff. And schools have to carry out internal moderation. And the reason why schools have to carry out internal moderation is only one in four schools get chosen for statutory moderation every year. And no school can go more than four years without having statutory moderation. Now, of course, the last two years have been totally disrupted. So if you were due in 2020 or 2021, you're likely to be moderated this year or next. Yeah. But there can be other criteria for schools being bumped up or added to that list because it's a minimum of 25% of schools. So if you have new school leadership, if you have early career teachers in year two or teachers new to year two, that might bump you up the, the criteria to be moderated as well. So start of summer term, schools are getting their data together, their assessments together, they're doing their internal moderation. Uh, and this year on Friday the 13th of all the dates, Friday the 13th of May, Schools will get that letter, email or phone call from their local authority to say you've been chosen to be moderated and your moderator will be in touch to tell you which date and the moderation window happens in June. And then we get to the kind of the nub of it, the moderation day itself, where in a quarter of schools, a lead moderator or a pool moderator come in and they go through and have a professional discussion with you about how you've reached your judgments and try and reach the conclusion not only are your judgments for these children in the sample, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment, how are these judgments accurate, but how are these judgments reflective of the whole class? So the moderation process isn't just a day. You kind of have to think about it as the whole year, the collection of the evidence, the preparing your judgments, your internal moderation, the statutory moderation, and then anything that happens in that moderation might then influence your judgments you know, for the rest of the class. And then by the end of June, you have to send off your final statutory assessment judgments to your local authority. I think this year it's the 28th of June, uh, though I better check the ARA just to make sure I've got that date dead on. So I've whizzed through loads of that and I've waffled quite a bit. So which bits do you want me to clarify or expand on? What's coming to mind there are two things for me. The first one is when we talk about collecting evidence, we're not talking about generating evidence for evidence's sake. We're saying that the evidence that's available will be a byproduct of a really, for instance, rich mathematical experience in key stage one. In a normal school year where schools might not have moved around their curriculum topics because of COVID and everything, I'd probably say, yeah, you'd have got through all your topics, you'll have covered all the things in the teacher assessment framework statements, but the teacher assessment framework statements, if we talk about maths for a second, they're not a best fit model at all. You know, none of them are for reading, writing or maths. You have to have evidence for every statement within a standard to say a child's working at that standard. So if there are nine statements, something like that, for expected standard for maths, you need to be able to demonstrate that a child's met all nine to the expected standard. If they've met eight and missed out on one, then they're the top end of working towards. And that feels harsh, but you as a school need to have given every child the opportunity to have met all nine. So 
that includes statements about fractions and time and measurement and geometry. So although with the best will in the world, we might think actually our children need a big heavy year on number and we want to push those things to later. Unfortunately, the statutory guidelines say you have to have covered all of those things to reach a judgment about your children's standard of work. So all the children need to have had a chance. So if teachers have moved their topics around or done things to a lesser degree than they might have done previously, then yeah, they might be in a slightly tighter spot to put their finger on that evidence. But yeah, if you've got a broad, balanced, well-structured curriculum, you can probably be quite confident you've done all your number, addition, subtraction, fractions, etc. Reading and writing, it's less of an issue because it judges the, the children's ability to read, to write, and it doesn't necessarily matter so much which topics you've done in which order, but math specifically this year, schools are going to have had to give quite a bit of thought about the order in which they do things so that the children aren't disadvantaged by the length of time we spend on topics um, or we can't leave anything post you know June and say oh we'll come on to we'll come on to time in July because that would be a case for maladministration mal we've submitted a judgment the children of this but they've not actually learned that yet and we don't want anyone to be in that situation I mean we all know my thoughts on when we should teach time and that doesn't feature in my national curriculum what are your thoughts on a task that shows multiple sort of of the points being met, so to speak? So for instance, if you're reading time in quarters and you solve some sort of problem that involves using that, you know, I'm not, I'm not attaching numeric values to those quarters per se, but could you, for instance, could you hypothetically say, okay, this child understands both fractions and time to the nearest quarter hour. Am I stretching? I think you've stretched those statements. I think you might really struggle with those, but the teacher assessment framework and the teacher assessment guidance both say that one piece of work can be used for several statements. So the best example of that is the test paper, isn't it? You know, like you have to include that as a piece of evidence and it's gonna help you with several of the statements anyway, great. But my best example that I try and give to schools is reading scales of measurement. So if the children read scales of measurement, great. But what do they do with that information? Do they then add those numbers together? Do they then calculate with it in some way? Do they find fractions of amounts with it? If they do, then great. We, we're really looking at several pieces of information right there. You know, because there are statements on there about partitioning, adding and subtracting, all these kind of things. Well, what are you partitioning? Where are you getting those values from? So if they're in context, like reading scales of measurement or quantities of money or, or that kind of thing, then yeah, absolutely. Um, but again, that goes back to our point about a really rich and worthwhile curriculum. We want children to have purposeful reasons to add and subtract, to multiply and divide, to find fractions of amounts. And statistics and measurement are great for that. So yeah, those statistics, objectives often provide us the opportunity to meet some of our place value ones as well that we might have taught in September October and the children weren't particularly proficient at them then but after a year of practice they're now really good at it you know if I was relying on their evidence from October for how good this child's place value is I might be doing myself a disservice but have they proven themselves at place value in their statistics work and measurement work yeah they absolutely have they've got better over time so those carefully chosen pieces of work will show several pieces of evidence. And ultimately, whether it's an internal moderation, and I want to really stress that the vast majority of schools and every single teacher will go through internal moderation, and only a small number of schools comparatively will go through statutory moderation. They have to be able to talk the talk and go, right, here's how I've made my judgments, and I based it on this evidence, and I have confidence that this evidence proves the standards because dot, dot, dot. And it's a big ask for the teachers, but that's why, you know, there's training available, there's exemplification materials, all of those kind of things too. I, I'm more than happy to accept that my example wasn't the best because I was making <laughs> up and thinking on the spot, right, how com complex can I make this combination of, of mathematical ideas? But yeah, I, I appreciate. And I do think that's important for teachers to realize is that they can make those connections. Sean, from your point of view, listening to Tom speak about the process and 
the evidence collection. This is your first year in year two. What's it been like so far with regards to the that sort of year-long moderation process? I think in terms of actual the gathering of evidence, we kind of really started thinking about that just before Christmas, about actually formally doing that. Because, you know, there is the idea that we could look at evidence from before Christmas, but we don't want to be depending on it. So I think that's where, we, I think it comes back to being a little bit creative with how you gather that evidence. And again, I'm, I'm talking from a specifically Matt's point of view, because the curriculum cover, the nature of the curriculum coverage is, is the issue. It's the nature of the subject, isn't it? With writing, with reading, they're kind of transferable skills as long as say for is reading as long as the text is, appro- is age appropriate then we're good to go on with most of us with most of those skills um and writing again as long as you're doing a range of text types um and exposing them to a variety you know exposing them to that, that variety of text types and exposing them to a variety of skills and encouraging the children to apply their skills then you know you should be okay but then when it when it comes to maths i think you that's like i said you have to be a little bit more thoughtful in how you structure your curriculum our our maths curriculum is structured very much you do addition before christmas you do money before christmas you do multiplication in term three so that could have stymied us a little bit so what we had to we had we had to have a discussion as we had to have a discussion about where are we going to build in that retrieval practice? Where are we going to revisit these things? I think that re I think that will I think that has made the evidence stronger because what that means is so we we do it in the form of um our starter tasks a lot of the time. In year two, we'll have a sheet at the back of the book, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. The children come in, they do mo- they you know, they they look at Monday's work. It could be on money, they did money in November. But it's the revisiting now. If they if they can do independently something that they learned in November, we know that they're quite strong at that. So as far as the working towards and the expected goes, we're actually quite. I think we're fairly. You know that that's been okay as long as you're willing to be. As long as you're willing to think it through. I think in terms of greater, you know, the greater depth, that's where it possibly proves a little bit more challenging where you're, you know, having to build in time for children to meet those targets um, and, you know, really thinking about, okay, for example, time in our curriculum, year two, time isn't meant to come until the very end of the year. So we need to expose them to that. Position and direction doesn't feature strongly on the actual ITAFs, but it does come up on the test. <laughs> so we do need to cover before you know you need to cover before the sats but there's an example of one that we've mostly pushed towards the end of the year because we were confident that say, uh, we're actually covering it partially in, in computing at the moment so we're confident enough that they'll have the knowledge coming into the sats and that we can cover it in depth after the ITAFs are collected so it's like I said it's about being creative and building in that time into your curriculum so the children are exposed to the complete diet of the curriculum and you're not left with parts of the curriculum completely uncovered and do, like doing yourself a disservice, I suppose. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Just a, a really careful note. Um, you said ITAFs. Sure. Yeah. So this is where me as a moderator, this yeah. is where I've got slight alarm bells. So yeah. Kieran, feel free to edit this out if you want. But yeah. the ITAFs is Interim Teacher Assessment Framework. Yeah. And yeah. that's pre-2018. 2019 yeah. i'm still and calling it by old money yeah i know sure. <laughs> and i'm thinking of the person listening thinking i'm using taps should i be using yeah, yeah. It's a, it, it actually does people. say taps on the top of the document absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> i've got to do that check you know the, i mean moderator mode thinking hold okay. on a second are we using yeah. the same standards <laughs> and that's a really important point that we might have skipped mm. over so i'm really glad it came up because i i see it you know schools ask me about advice mm. for preparing for moderation and one of those things is make sure you're using the 2018, 19 and beyond things. Anything that says yeah. interim on is not the up-to-date stuff. We might slip no. into the ITAF and I've had to teach myself out of it. 
Uh, but yeah, just for the, the you know the casual listener thinking, hold on a second, am I using the wrong stuff? No, I better raise that. <laughs> I better raise that in case someone goes back and changes their paperwork. I'll happily take that on board. <laughs> no, I think I'm keeping that in because that, that is a very important point. You know, we're talking about a, a profession that's still called the 2014 curriculum, the new national curriculum. You know, <laughs> we're not great at name changes. You know, I think that, that, no, we're, we're not. And we slip into, you know, shortenings, acronyms, everything, don't we? Just to make our life that little bit easier. So, yeah, for anyone listening, TAF, Teacher Assessment Framework, yeah? And ARA, Assessment Reporting. We can make a whole glossary of all these shortenings <laughs> that we use. You know, in Key Stage 2, you'll be familiar with the TAG, Teacher Assessment or Test Administration Guidance. But in Year 2, there's both. There's Teacher Assessment Guidance and test administration guidance so we've always got to be careful that everyone's using the same the same phrase yeah. and using it in the same way my second idea that came up from your description tom i thought are schools with moderators in the pool at an advantage to schools that don't have moderators or teachers who are moderators in the pool because they almost understand the process that little bit more than someone who's not involved at the in the school sort of level moderation. Yeah, I mean, what you're really asking is a school with more knowledge an advantage to a school that has less knowledge. And I think the answer is yes. So <laughs> even if you choose not to put yourself forward to be a pool moderator, it's really good advice to make sure that someone in the team, the wider team, goes through the process of moderator training. Because you need that knowledge. You need to know what constitutes good evidence, how to use the exemplification materials, and to look out for the common pitfalls that you might only come across through the dialogue that happens in those training events. So you might look at a statement. I'll choose a statement that notoriously schools struggle with getting evidence for because it's deceptive, right? So from the teacher assessment framework, the maths framework, working expected standard, um, the children have to recall all number bonds to and within 10 and use these to reason with and calculate bonds to and within 20 recognizing other associative uh, other additive relationships right that's basically five statements in one but it's written as one bullet point so you know the standards and testing agency have put this together thought oh we, we need to be as concise as possible you know we need to make this easy to remember we'll have a statement in there about number bonds but really it's, can the children recall number bonds turn within 10? Great, one statement. Can they use these number bonds to reason? That's another one. Can they calculate these bonds and reason to, with bonds within 20? Okay, that's another one. And then recognize other additive relationships. So that's subtraction. That's like the fact families, you know, for want of a better term. So we're basically got four or five statements as one bullet point. If you don't go on the moderate training, that might pass you by. You might look at that and think, yeah, my kids know their number bonds to 10. I'm confident with that. And the real kicker in that statement is that it's not only an and statement, this and this and this and this, it's an all statement. So you need to be able to present evidence that you know that these children you said are expected standard can do this for all of their number bonds within 10. So a picky moderator like me might go, are you certain for the number nine? How do you know? And someone doesn't need to pull out like a book and go, look, they've done pages of work of making nine in different ways and using that for 19 and here are their fact families. But I know it because we've done it through our daily starters and we've done it for all numbers and we've done it systematically throughout the term. I've made notes of those children who don't and blah, 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 blah. But because it's an and statement, there's several points and it's an all statement as well. So you can't just go, well, because the child knows it for seven, they must be fine with the rest of them. So, yeah, I think you're at a massive advantage if you have that knowledge in your building that someone's been on the training. And, you know, because for some people, to use your term, Kieran, scales from the eyes moment, that kind of, whoa, it really means all of that. And didn't realise it meant that much stuff. And that then becomes a discussion point that feeds into your planning, doesn't it? You know, no one's asking for teachers to present a whole portfolio raft of evidence. The, te the moderator is there to, in the professional discussion, go, how did you make those judgments? And how do you know your judgments are accurate? So that the inferences you've made about the standard that child's working with aren't led by any sort of bias and that you're confident, not just for these children we've chosen, but for the whole class. 
So yeah, I think there are huge advantages for going through the process. Even this year, like I said, it's the online process of you know, the self, self-directed study. Um, however, I would say one of the weaknesses of the moderation process, the moderation training, is there is a much bigger emphasis on writing than there is on reading and maths. So it really benefits to make sure you're having these types of dialogues with experienced moderators who've been through it several times. What, what is the purpose of moderation? And do you think that it fulfills its purpose well? Okay, I'm, I'll make a start on fielding it and then I'll ask Sean what do you think. I don't know how familiar people are with the, the kind of the Russian proverb that was made famous by ex-American presidents of trust but verify. You know, they're kind of, we want to trust teachers. We want to know that teachers are really accurate in their judgments, but we are going to include some verification process. And the vast majority of the time, it's in-house verification. You do that yourselves. Here's all the paperwork you need to do it. Go through that process and you'll be absolutely fine. And every four years, people like me, moderation teams come in and we look at 10% of the children for reading, 10% for writing, or 10% for math, or if you've got small cohorts, a minimum of three children for each. So we might be looking at only 10% of your cohort. So we're trusting your judgment for the other 90%. Now with trust comes a lot of autonomy. You know, we're putting a lot of responsibility in teachers' hands and we're trusting their professional judgment. But I do think that verification is needed. You know, if we're only going to come around and check in once every four years, we want to know that what's happening when we're not there is still in line with the guidance. People are still going through their statutory responsibilities. So do I think that the moderation process is working? Does it work well? That depends on how well schools are doing the moderation process when people like me aren't there. And for some schools, they will hand on heart say, yeah, we put a lot of time, effort and energy into doing it. We've got lots of well-trained, well-informed people. And for other schools, we don't have those people in-house, but local schools do. So we rely on that evidence. Can I say with confidence that that happens really effectively everywhere? I don't have that kind of that knowledge or know-how. Sean, in your experience, the support you've had from colleagues at school, do you feel like you're surrounded by people who've been through this process, know how to guide you through it, and that you kind of trust those judgments that have been made outside of the statutory window every four years? We have one colleague in year two who's also been through the process in this school. You know, I think that's been helpful. Our our assistant head is um taught in key stage one and again she's been part of the process so i think that that has kind of helped i had been on the training in uh in a previous school that was the (laughs) the ill-fated 2020 training obviously (laughs) i gathered the evidence but uh (laughs) we didn't get there generally i think we you know the support has been there we've been having we've been having those kind of obviously much less so at the start of the year but as the year has gone on we've been having those conversations more and more frequently we have a teacher who was an, uh, is an NQT plus one in our year group as well so it's been important to support her and kind of just ongoing clarification that we're all doing the same thing and we're all trying to have the same expectations for the same for the same targets Again, I think that's that's helped because we do shared planning. So we are all doing the same tasks. But again, touching base, especially and making sure, you know, making sure I I suppose all of us, you know, having a kind of a shared understanding. Well, this is what this is what expected is for this particular thing or making sure that if we are unsure that we go and talk to each other about it and show the and discuss the evidence and we actually I sat in an internal moderation today as part of a staff meeting. And again, also having other people who aren't part of the, <laughs> the evidence gathering rat race to come in with a fresh pair of eyes. We had our head teacher come in and have a look. Um, we had a PPA. They've got to be there. They've read the head teacher's declaration that they've got to make sure it's <laughs> well there. Yeah, <laughs> there is that exactly. But, but, but having people who, having people who are just coming in in a fresh pair of eyes again is i think was a that was a useful exercise today because it well we needed to we need to have that narrative straight in our head about about the the children that we you know the um that we presented 
And, you know, again, that little bit of challenge saying, well, how do you know? And how have you yeah. come to this judgment? And are you sure not to catch you out, but actually, am I sure? What is my evidence? Um, and how robust is that evidence, really? Um, I think that's really healthy, Sean. And it's great yeah. for people to hear that because when most people think moderation, they think external. They think yes. the role of someone coming in and kind of holding you to account and having that dialogue. But even that dialogue, when, like when someone like me comes in, it always starts with that question I just asked you. What does moderation look like when we're not here? Because mm. schools are expected to have gone through that process almost expecting to be moderated. You don't know whether you're going to get the, the phone call or the email or whatever on Friday the 13th this year. So you've got to assume you're going to, you've got to go through all those processes. And it sounds like you've got a really healthy system that doesn't just include the year two team, but people from outside. And that can really help overcome any potential biases and make you go through those difficult conversations of how do we know? How can we be certain that across this collection of evidence, We've got everything we need to support our judgment. So if other schools are in the position that you're in and have the confidence that you have, then to answer your question, Kieran, I think, yeah, the, the process of moderation is fulfilling its purpose because it's making people have conversations that might otherwise be difficult to have but are necessary. You know, I think it's great if you've got some of those year three teachers coming involved in that conversation, not only to learn the pupils, but so they have a shared understanding of what to expect for those expected standard children coming up do they know that it's okay for children to use verbal methods of working out or informal jottings of working out they might not but if they join in your process like you're talking about or what it means to for writing to be coherent at a greater depth level that's even better for their subject knowledge and their professional development as well isn't it so i think that's fab i think you've described a really healthy process it might not be comfortable and it might be time intensive and it is but it's a statutory thing and it happens once at the end of the key stage. So is it worthwhile? I can't say for every school that it's going perfectly, but if, this, if the process you've described is replicated across your local area, across the county, across the country, then we can be proud that we've got a really diligent profession who are doing the right thing. So it sounds good to me. I think from my point of view, um, <laughs> when I first started teaching, my experience, I came in at the tail end of levels and I found even though we had a shared document where we were all, you know, everyone across the country was using um, these and obviously the sub-levels were invented and, and things like that. But I found the problem was you had six different schools, six different opinions on what, a, on, a, on what a sentence opener was or what ambitious vocabulary was or interesting the audience was. So I think it's incredibly important to have someone say, this is the shared expectation. This is what it looks like. Because like you said, it's very easy to for everyone to read the same sentence and people to get entirely different meanings from us yeah so i think that is a really important point and i know kieran it was covered in the key stage two writing moderation wasn't it the the difficulties of moderating with other schools the people coming in from different points sometimes being a bit precious about our ego so there's no pushback and i think one of the strengths of the key stage one and key stage two moderation materials that sta put online is that once the moderators have done all their training, any school can access that stuff on the primary assessment gateway. They can look at the standardization materials and importantly, the commentary that goes with it, that basically says, this is why this is an effective piece that shows dot, dot, dot. And I think that's so useful. So, so useful. So if you are in that difficult conversation and you need like a third party to say, no, no, this is what we mean by coherence, that paperwork exists. And it's not a person, it's not an opinion then. The document exists that this is the standard by which we're comparing these children's work to. And the other strength as well is we're expected to show that a child can do it across a collection of writing. We're not saying this one piece of writing is the be all and end all of how good that child is a writer. We're saying across this collection, they can demonstrate this standard, this skill, whatever it may be. And that can be hard to do 
with the, another school because we're talking about looking at one child several pieces of writing over a long period of time but it's probably easier to internally you can do it bit by bit over time you can use the exemplification materials you can use the annotated commentaries from the sta on the primary assessment gateway there's lots of things you can use to do it well however if we are going to do it well it is time intensive and we all have to accept that this is a big ask of schools to facilitate this time. It's resource heavy. You know, you have to then think about the opportunity costs involved, but thankfully we're not doing it every year. We're not doing it for every year group. We're not doing it for every child. We're doing it for a sample of children and we're trusting them that teachers use that experience to inform their other judgments. So is it a perfect system? No, but the tools are there for teachers to do it really well if given the opportunity to do so. Um, and I think that some teachers would say that they've had negative experiences in the past, but that's definitely not the case for everyone because those positive experiences are there to be had. That leads really nicely into my next loaded question. And it's about what impact does the gathering of evidence have on teaching and on workload? I don't know, Sean, if you want to start with you and your sort of opinion because essentially you've been trusted to work through the process yourself this year. So any impact on teaching and workload will sort of almost fall on your own shoulders, I think. It's, it's, it's a result of the process and the decisions you've made. So we're not pointing fingers at anyone because I know you've got a really supportive sort of senior leadership team, you know, but it's more a case of, you know, so has there been an impact on what you've taught, you know, and your, the workload you've had as a result? I think it has made some you know i i think i would be lying if, if i was saying there wasn't some impact in terms of the decisions i've made again particularly in maths where even you know perhaps children you know i perhaps i could have chosen something else that uh for a bit of arithmetic at the start of the lesson and um, but actually i need you know i need some evidence on partitioning now i don't think I don't read I don't believe in evidence for evidence sake I would if I would if I made that decision it would have been well actually that's something I will need to practice at some they will need a bit of practice at at some stage but perhaps it might have perhaps it might have happened a little bit later in the year or a different point or in a different form that you know it certainly does play a role and definitely combing through a piece of work and saying say for example writing have they used capital letters? Have they used full stops? Is that on the year two common exception list or is that on the year one common exception list? That can take, that can take more time, but I suppose it's about, you know, trying to take a reasonably healthy look at it um, and saying, all right, we, you know, for, for writing, we're not going to have an assessed piece of writing every day. We try and do maybe one every week if it suits if it really you know and i think that's that's a really does it suit what we're doing because there's no point in doing it just completely in isolation it's not going to be good as an assessment piece and it's not going to be the children aren't going to get anything out of it it does increase the workload to a degree because when you are planning you are thinking well where you know am i am i going to get the evidence for this um wh how what form does that need to take and um, you mentioned the exemplification materials they are you know they are incredibly helpful especially for maths where the greater depth some of the greater depth targets are slight they can be as initially slightly convoluted sounding and as oh that's what that looks like now and if you're going and eventually you know i i've had a good few looks at it at this stage i'm you know looking at it regularly enough so i know what it looks like now but initially having to go oh what you know so, scroll down on a document and say is that match what I'm look what they're looking for? Or is that really you know reading into what they're looking for? Yes, it's time can, that I think that would have an impact on workload, but hopefully as things as the process becomes more automatic and if you you know the more experienced you become, obviously it, your judgment becomes more secure and you can become more confident in that can't you? Yeah, so I think I agree with loads that I was nodding along as Sean's talking. You know, they kind of there is no doubt your workload is going to be affected by having to think about these statements. To play slight devil's advocate, I imagine the same would be said if any teacher has to make a teacher assessment judgment against key performance indicators. 
you know so if in their school they have key performance indicators for the end of year four and we're only going to assess that child at expected standard or on track for expected standard if they've met all of them then it would have an impact on that teacher's workload as well it's just that in year two the key performance indicators are dictated to us and we have to be able to show all of them you know there is a case we won't go into detail about um writing you know and particular weakness and everything that comes with that but for almost every single situation we have to say with confidence that the child's met all of the statements it's a secure fit and that's hard and like sean says there a lot of the workload that goes into that is thought you know how have we collected that where have we collected that how do i know for certain now that's not to say that some schools do this uh, neatly uh, some schools go way over the top as, a, as someone who's moderated lots of schools over several years, schools don't all, all present this in the same way. Some teachers come up with their books and they're happy to talk through it and that's it. They've done no extra paperwork, but they know it. They know it really well. And if you ask them a difficult question about where something might be, they ask, can I have a couple of minutes to find it? I know it's in here. It's round about there and I've seen it and da, da, da. Other schools have a general target sheet. You know, so these are my teacher assessment framework statements on one side of the page. I've got all the children across the top of the page and I've double ticked it or whatever they've done. You know, I'm thinking way back to how I trained to be a teacher in 2001, you know, with the double ticks or little triangles to show whether they've got it. However they've done it, they've got one assessment grid over time. They can say with confidence they've seen this thing more than once. Now, some schools go way beyond that to an extreme and they have tick sheets in the back of every child's book for every subject. And that must take teachers forever. In those schools, it's almost certainly going to have a huge impact on teacher workload. But that impact is largely the decisions they've made for how they are going to be confident they know where the evidence is and when. There's no, you must do it one way. You know, the teacher assessment guidance, the assessment reporting arrangements doesn't say you must present your evidence in this way. But schools have all gone down totally different approaches for collecting that in. Some of them have minimal implications for workload, though it is still significant compared to not doing it all. Some schools have gone way, way beyond. And for those teachers, they must be spending hours regularly trawling through books and ticking sheets and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You've got to go with what you think is the right approach to take. And you have to be conscious that is it sustainable and is it fair for your teachers to do that? Uh, and I think some approaches are probably fairer than others. That seems to be a theme running through this, because, you know, I promised I wouldn't openly critique the process of moderation during this episode. I'm not going to. But what you guys have done is really well field the questions with almost prod and poke while getting an understanding of how we can cope with it, you know. And, you know, I think as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, right, when schools manage this process well, Actually, a lot of the things that I don't like about the system can be mitigated. So I think it's been really, really useful listening to both of your experiences on this because I'm sort of getting a more rounded approach, whereas I may, may have dug myself a little trench over the last couple of years. Um, and so now I can, I can see over the, over the side of it and thinking, OK, maybe, maybe things aren't as extreme as I in, in every case. You know, but, you know, like you said, Tom, I think some schools do, you know, have room to move pull back just a, a slight bit yeah and i think your reflection there kieran will be similar to lots of teachers especially if they haven't been through the process in the last couple of years you know like sean said right at the start or you said right at the start we haven't done we haven't been through this process formally since june 2019 and that was the most recent schools there are schools that have not been through it since june 2016 and when it was an interim assessment framework statement so that's where our episodic memory comes in doesn't it they kind of my feelings about the event distort how i remember the event so <laughs> if it if it felt really uncomfortable if it felt really time intensive i'm not going to have the most positive memories of it you know if i've been through it more recently i, have a, I might have a more rounded uh, experience of it now it doesn't mean that everyone loves moderation you know it's not always comfortable for the moderator either <laughs> but if you can have a really good professional dialogue in that moderation meeting i think it's a really potentially very powerful and useful experience for everyone involved my final question and i'm going to send this your way tom what alternatives are there okay so when we're thinking about 
alternatives to teacher assessment at the end of key stage one. There are no alternatives to the statutory teacher assessment framework model. It's not going away. You know, they're going to remove SATs in a couple of years. So the teacher assessment framework model's got to stick around, you know. And I'd really encourage schools to still use some sort of standardised test. Going back to the points I said before about making sure that our judgments are valid and free from bias. So I don't think there's a viable alternative in replacing the system because we rely on it as a system, as a, you know, we rely on it at the moment and it's not going away. And also, to go back to the point I mentioned previously, for the vast majority of time, you are not going through the external moderation process. You're going through the internal moderation process for three years out of four, and also for the 90% of children that the moderator doesn't look at. So there needs to be something. It needs to be standardised, and the system that we've got isn't going anywhere. So I don't think there are any alternatives to the statutory approach at the moment, and probably not for a good while yet many many years but it's about how the alternative to maybe how we collect gather present have conversations around our evidence that's worth thinking about there will be some schools listening to this thinking wow i think we're doing way too much there might be other schools thinking i don't think we do enough and for those schools healthy alternatives do exist uh, but is there an alternative to the whole system no not for now not for, not at least uh, for the next few years anyway so if you were senior leader in a school and you were asking your key stage one lead to prepare the process for the coming year, what would you have them do? Um, so I'd go way back to the start of the year and think about curriculum mapping. What, what type of evidence do we need to have? What does that mean in terms of our knowledge of teachers? Do all teachers know what we mean by writing effectively and coherently? And there might be some subject knowledge gaps there. And senior leaders need to be on top of that and providing opportunities to, to support their colleagues to fill those gaps. There needs to be a regular informal process of talking about reading, writing, maths, what we mean by expected standard and doing that gradually over time and not burdening teachers with very rare or one-off mega meetings that no one really enjoys and we haven't got time to do things well. Um, so developing the knowledge in the team developing our process gradually over time and trying to have a system of recording our evidence in a sustainable and easy to manage way. If you can do all of those things, then it's likely to benefit the teacher's subject knowledge. It's likely to improve their understanding of what, you know, STA at least says expected standard is. And if we involve colleagues from other year groups, like Sean mentioned before, we're spreading the benefit wider than just year two. Um, there's a, a lot of questions there and there's a lot of thinking for schools to go through that process. And they'll have to think carefully about the size of their school because that process for a three-class school with only 60 children across the whole school is going to be very different to a huge infant school, for example, or huge junior school or, or sorry, through primary, four form entry. So you have to think about your context and including context, your teachers, their subject knowledge, their prior experience, your systems, all of those kind of things. But if they're aligned together and it's gradually planned over time so there are not too many pinch points, then it's much more likely to be successful than doing it last minute, ad hoc, and kind of flying by the seat of our pants. So, yeah. And if you ever decide to come back into school leadership, Tom, it'd be a very lucky school that has you sort of organising that approach. Yeah, that sounds brilliant. Sean, what would you do? You know, you're education minister. You can, you can choose an alternative. What would you do? I, I think definitely there's a lot to be said about um a lot to be said for comparative judgment. I definitely think that teachers shouldn't be judging their own pupils' work in isolation because you are inherit you know unfortunately unfortunately the way the human humans work, we are we are full of biases. Um we don't mean to be, <laughs> but I, we are all of us here have biases and we take those into every lesson we teach and every judgment we make and obviously it's for us if we're going to you know if we want to be the best teachers we can be to um try and shed ourselves of those but that is almost impossible by yourself i would say so what really if you want an object an objective judgment what has to, what has to happen 
is you need you need to get children's work um, compared to each other. You need to have a group of people together comparing them and have had experience with um, some comparative judgments in our school already. And I found that to be quite, I found those conversations to be quite useful um, where we all decide, well, you know, this piece is better than this and here's why. And th those professional discussions. And gen generally, I think if you've, you know, I think if you increase that, <laughs> you have a larger amount of people involved in that conversation, it's quite accurate. Uh, it becomes more and more accurate, obviously, the bigger the sample size, doesn't it? So I've always found that useful. If there was some way of, of creating, to, of, of kind of putting comparative judgment across schools, um, I, think that would, I think that would certainly help. Um, because there has to be something in place to ensure that these judgments are accurate. But it's, it's about how do you stimulate that professional conversation between colleagues? Yeah, so Sean, just to add to that point, are we talking about comparative judgment of several pieces of work for the same child? So, so the child writing for different audiences and different purposes, because if we think about the no more marking model, mm -hmm. all the children are doing the same piece, aren't we? And we're comparing. Uh, our school has been involved in is um, using the no more marking model. And we've also done the, the, the system where everyone gets together on a computer and discusses it as well. Um, and the the pieces come up on the screen and you judge well this is better than that one and this is better than that one you rank them i would find the internal one a lot better because you you know it's it's as well people the people involved all know the children then yeah and so my question is do would we do it for several different pieces of work so we've got yeah. a different a range of audiences a range of purposes and those kind of things because we all know don't we that if it was based on one piece of work that is real hit and miss we're talking about six of the oh i I, th I think definitely i think that would be i i think <laughs> i've certainly in you know earlier on in my career i was involved in those pieces where it was just here's a piece of work that's your level for the term that's it yeah. um and that was not helpful for anyone so i would say and I think, again, it comes back that this is where this is where the current moderation process is useful, I suppose, isn't it? Because it's a body of work. Yeah, and over a period of time. Yeah, over there. a period of time. And you can see how that body of work has developed. <laughs> so I suppose that is and that is a real strength. That is a, a real strength in the moderation process. I suppose it's just. How can you. I, I suppose it's how can you introduce a bit more comparative judgment in, in yeah. into that possibly i think it's, that a, it's a really good point i think you've got yeah. a great you've got you've got something there i just there's so many different dynamics aren't there you know the hardest thing about moderation is ensuring that the work's independent there are yeah. big question marks about the extent to which we can use success criteria teacher modeling shared or guided writing all of those kind of things and the no more marking approaches well we're doing away with that aren't we like this mm. is a cold piece no one's seen it before. There's no talk about it. Off you go. And at least we can guarantee then, hopefully, fingers crossed, if everyone plays by the rules, no one's gaming the system that everything's fair, everyone's independent. But again, my concern is always, it's just that one piece, that one audience, that one purpose. If, if one child flunks that day and they don't show a good reflection of themselves, what, what do we do from there? And I think if we are going to improve the, the system, we have to have several pieces of work for each child. I might be way off. You know, this is slightly out of my, my realm of expertise, definitely. Um, but yeah, definitely something to think about. I think that would make for a really good debate because obviously we've had the keys, we've had the, the writing moderation episode. We've got these ideas here where you guys are talking about actually there are some benefits to what we have in place i don't know maybe we'll see if we can arrange it for the discord initially and then it'd be great to have it live you know like those big debates they have they have like maybe a panel of five or six people i'd be really interested <laughs> to see it. i don't know where i'd sit <laughs> <laughs> well maybe, maybe you don't need to pick a side maybe it's just a, a nice decent chat about uh, about education and um, it's one to think That'd about be nice. yeah <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's been fascinating listening to you guys because obviously i can remember my preconceived notions what i'm really glad is that I haven't suffered from the backfire effect. And actually, I've been nodding and listening, thinking, no, I didn't double down on some of my preconceived notions. 
Um, you know, so there, there's hope for me yet. All that's left to do, Sean, is say thank you very much for your first time. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Always a pleasure. And everyone at home, until next time, thanks for... Oh, people could watch and listen to this episode. On if, So if you've got Spotify, this is going to be a watch. So thank you for watching and listening. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.